Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Colley. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, in this show about uh, what we do at Keystone Elder Law, which is, of course, protecting the middle class, shielding them from predictable threats and expensive threats that come down the road in the later years of life. And a lot of what we talk about requires getting to know every family that comes in the door. So even if it's just uh, a single person or the um, a married couple that comes in, you know, the, the conversation is not just, you know, you want a will, we'll draft a will. It goes way, way beyond that. We want to know what's going on with your health, what's going on with your finances. Um, if Are there children? Are there children from previous relationships? And, you know, most people are, are good-natured about this, and they understand I probably have a method to my madness as I'm, I'm asking these, these in-depth questions, getting to know them, understanding them. Uh, not the kinds of questions you would ask in any sort of social setting, but in a confidential meeting with an attorney at Keystone Elder Law, this this does seem natural to people. And I, I am uh, very fortunate that people come in uh, pre-educated because we do an awful lot of education on uh, the need for planning and why we're doing it. So they sort of see it coming, why I'm, I'm digging for information. And ultimately, there's a reason for this because we're, we, we are really treating the whole family. So whoever's sitting in front of me, you know, in the room is going to be my client, but it has downstream effects for children. It has downstream effects for the spouse, of course, if there's a spouse. So, you know, a lot of the themes that develop during these conversations and these client relationships that get formed, uh, it, it's, it's relationships in the family. So today I'm going to talk about parents and children. I'm going to talk about parents supporting their children, but I'm also going to talk about children supporting their parents. And in the lifetime of a relationship that we have with our clients at Keystone Elder Law, we're very fortunate to become very aware of what's going on with them. And we might see them uh, in one year for estate planning, and then a number of years go by, and then the adult children are calling us and saying, Okay, we have a, a, a we have a health situation. You know, dad dad's slipping. Uh, this is what's going on, and maybe we can get them through that and just give some advice. Of course, we have a registered nurse on staff who is very very experienced with long term care situations, and she can advocate for them and and give them some education just on what to expect, maybe ways to communicate. Um, but ultimately, if there's a long term care situation, we guide them through that as well. And then ultimately, somebody's going to pass away and we help them settle the estate. So it's nice to understand everything that's going on with a family and really get to know them. But it all starts with gathering this information. And and I want to know about how parents are supporting children, if that's going on at all. And, and it's great to hear, you know, a married couple sit in my in my conference room and tell me, oh, no, all of our children are doing way better than we ever did. I mean, that's the American dream, right? You know, you want the next generation to succeed. And, and uh, you know, so when they tell me, oh, none of them are really uh, eagerly waiting for our money, that's not really a concern. Well, that's one less pressure uh, to, to have on the whole situation. But at the same time, I know that parents are parents, and it's in every parent's DNA 
to help children however they can. Uh, you know, if that means giving money, they're going to give money. If they, if it's the shirt off their back, that's what they're going to do. So I thought I would touch on some of the most common ways that that uh, or common questions that come up with the ways that parents support children. One, if I mean, if you're listening to the later in life planning show, you might not have young kids in your life anymore, and unless they're grandchildren, I suppose. But you know, for those who are younger people who come into Keystone Elder Law. The, the, the estate plan is going to be different because their threats are different. The, their health is different. What they have to protect is different. And if they have young children, we're going to be talking about that. Do any of them have special needs? Do any of them have a disability? Um, and if the answer is no, and I'll get, get back to that in a moment if it's yes, but if it's no, well, at the very least, are they minor children? How old are they? So if the parents become incapacitated, they go out for date night, they get into a nasty car accident. Both parents are laid up in the hospital. They're going to be fine eventually, but it's going to take a period of re- recuperation. Who's taking care of the kids? And this is these. This is one of those moments where if you haven't done any planning, you uh, you know, you start suddenly realize what you were taking for granted. So who who can go into the doctor's office and make medical decisions for the child? Who can go to the school? And talk to the school. I mean, these, these are environments where they're pretty strict about, you know, the children and who, who they're talking to about the children, who can make the children's decisions. So there there is actually legal planning that you can do for uh, the parents of young children to have an incapacity plan that automatically allows somebody else. And it's not the power of attorney, but it kind of acts like a power of attorney where you can authorize somebody else to go into the doctor's office, to go into the school even a bank, if there's if there's money set aside for the child, um, and and you can make these decisions. But what if the ch- what if the parents pass away? Now it's the same kind of decision making, but it's now we're talking about the appointment of a permanent guardian, and that has to be built into the will. So we 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 ask about you know who do you trust? Who would be best situated uh, because of their relationship with the child, and how well does the child get along with these people? Um, you know, what What are they going to be able to do to, you know, give all of the opportunities that you would give them and raise the child with the values that you would want them to be raised? Um, so we're going through questions like that, and then it's going to be built right into the will. And Pennsylvania law says that that if that's in your will, you take the time to think about it and nominate somebody. Uh, the court has to be the one who actually appoints the guardian, but you nominate the person that, you know, unless there's glaring red flags or criminal records or something awful, the judge is going to see that and nominate the person of your choosing. So just by doing that, you've taken care of children, even if something horrible happens to you. So the other question that I would be asking is, regardless of their age, even if you're listening to this and you have adult children, do any of them have uh, disabilities? Do they have special needs? Because if we're drafting a will, for example, and you have three children and one of them has an addiction uh, and giving money to that child outright might cause lethal consequences. Or if they just have money management problems, they get money, they spend money. Maybe you want to structure the way that you leave money to that person. So we're talking about, you know, protections built right into your plan to to leave a better life. Um, you know, we're, we're asking about, you know, are there any public benefits for, for any of your kids? Uh, you know, SSI, SSDI, uh, are they, are they uh, going through any money problems where they have a lot of creditors? These, this, these are ways that the parents support the children. 
Even if they're gone, the parents can still support the children by doing proactive planning like this, and we can build it right into the plan to continue what the parent has always done, which is look out for the best interests of this child. You know, even if I'm gone, I'm going to be taking care of this child. And that, I hope in a in a future episode, in a, in a few weeks, to have an episode that takes a deep dive on uh, the special needs planning. That's, you know, that's a whole set of parents who, you know, if one thing keeps them up at night, it's it's not how am I taking care of my child now because they'll they'll lay down in traffic for their special needs child. But what worries them, what keeps them up at night is who's going to take care of my child when I'm gone because nobody can care for this child like I can. And we'll get into things like special needs trusts. We'll talk about ABLE accounts, which are a special kind of account that's existed for the last five or six years to set aside money that grows tax-free. You actually get a tax deduction for contributing to an ABLE account. And the ABLE account can be used to pay for things that uh, will not disrupt other uh, public benefits like SSI or Medicaid or housing benefits. So there are all kinds of ways that parents support their children and there are legal tools to make sure that they are doing that to the greatest possible extent. So when I come back from the break, I'm going to talk more about this. Like, what does this mean? It's not just making sure that your kids have food on the table, that they uh, are protected from their own creditors or their own demons. It's, it's really about a legacy. You know, you did a good job raising them. You did the best you could under with the information you had. And darn it, you want that to continue when you're gone. If you have anything to say about it, they're going to have the best life possible. Isn't this really about legacy planning? And we'll get into legacy planning when I come back and we'll talk about gifting. Gifting is another big issue. I get a lot of questions about, you know, giving money directly. There's tax uh, issues. There's long-term care expense issues. Um, and some other common questions that come up when it, when we talk about parents supporting the children, either during their lifetime or in their estate plan, their will, their trust, when they're gone, parents supporting children. There's a lot of good questions to be asked, and, and I've been asked all of them, so uh, I, I want to go through some of the answers so that you can make a better plan for your family. We'll come back in a bit. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show. I'm Patrick Colley with Keystone Elder Law. Our offices are in Mechanicsburg, but we uh, we practice throughout South Central Pennsylvania, helping families to protect for protect their their families, protect themselves from predictable threats that happen in the later years of life. And very often, that means parents come in maybe less concerned about themselves and more concerned about their kids. It happens all the time. So I'm talking today about parents supporting children and children supporting parents. So before the break, I was talking about issues that come up when we're talking, getting to know the family. Are there young kids uh, that need to be protected in various ways? Um, or, you know, and if the children are older, there might still be ways that they need to be protected from themselves, from creditors, from uh, health issues that they have, uh, where you can build in protections. But really, this comes down to, you know, in part to having a legacy that you did the best you could as a parent. You know, one thing that comes up a lot is, you know, sometimes I just have to ask, what are your children going to think about the planning that you are doing or not doing? Because 
I'll tell you. I mean, especially since, you know, we, we spend a lot of time uh, drafting wills, trusts, powers of attorney. Uh, we spend a lot of time getting families through a health crisis and getting Medicaid benefits, if appropriate, to pay for long-term care. And we spend a lot of time settling estates. So you get to know a lot of different family dynamics. And, you know, you just have to shake your head sometimes when, even when provided with the education and the information the, the choices that people make. And it's, you know, doing nothing is a choice. Uh, sometimes it's a conscious choice. Sometimes it's an unconscious choice. But, you know, you got to think, you, you, you just didn't, you knew what was coming and you did not make plans to make life easier for your children. And what are they going to think? What is your legacy going to be? And there are certainly adult children who, you know, we get to know over the years doing various uh, things to help a family and when the parents pass away, we're helping the adult child settle the estate. And we meet these adult ch- children and they're they're just, you know, all they're just beaming. They just have nothing but fond memories for their parents because the parents did did a great job raising them and then even made it easy for, you know, parents get sick, parents pass away, but they had everything well organized. They did all the right legal planning, the right financial planning, so that settling the estate was a breeze and um, and the children were sometimes surprised at, at how much thought uh, went into it and obviously how much love and care went into that because that's really what it is. It's a gift to your children to, to make certain plans to uh, enhance their life, to make life a little bit better for the next generation. And so, you know, we've also seen, of course, the adult children who are just tearing their hair out because, you know, the what, what might have seemed like a responsible parent made no plans Nobody can find their finances when the parent gets sick. No idea where their accounts are. You know, you find out they didn't do any legal planning or they did it back in the 1990s. And and now here we are so many years later, they never updated it with changes in the family. You know, you see this in things like uh, beneficiary designations on your life insurance or your retirement accounts, you know. It names somebody who died years ago. So what happens if 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 your life insurance uh, has as a, a designated beneficiary who's going to get the money? Well, it's somebody who died years ago. Well, that money is going to go through your estate. Well, that's frustrating because if especially if it's a lot of money, that's a lot of taxes that will now go to the government, whereas normally life insurance is not taxed. So updating beneficiary designations is usually a click on a computer screen and you're done. Uh, but the person couldn't even have been bothered to do that. And so now there's money leaving the family. And that's just, you know, maybe one minor in the scheme of things, minor example of frustrations that people have. The frustrations really come out uh, when the parents have failed to support the kids because they didn't have their own house in order and were trying to arrange for long-term care, were trying to find ways to pay for it, and nobody can get into the parent's IRA or 401k. Nobody can can uh, you know access important financial documents because there's no power of attorney. I've spoken about this, and I will continue to speak about this. I've covered it in previous episodes, but you know, when you haven't done the basic fundamental legal planning and so the children are trying to take over the, uh, you know, responsible adult decision making that the parent never did, you can just see how it's it's so taxing on the children from an emotional standpoint. You know, these are people with jobs of their own, families of their own, and they're trying to clean up a mess that the parent created. So 
parents taking care of children is sometimes just, you know, making sure you you think about uh, what is my legacy going to be? Am I making life easier for them or am I making life harder for them? And, you know, just think about it. I mean, if you love your children, you want to make life easier for them. You've probably done that in any number of ways. But but making uh, supporting your children just by having your house in order goes an awful long way. Uh, and when you think about it like that, how will I be remembered? That sort of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? You know, you know, because you can come up with all kinds of excuses about why I don't want to go see the the elder law attorney to get this in order. I've I've got some other things to do. There's a game on. <laughs> you know, I I have money that I want to spend on something else. And you, you, it's always easy to come up with some excuse. But it's not the money. It's, you know, it, it's something else. You're making priorities and you're avoiding priorities. And you're probably doing it on some unconscious level because you don't want to think about getting sick. You don't want to think about dying. It's not the the nicest conversation, but it's the responsible thing to do. But, you know, all of us know what the responsible thing is to do sometimes and we'd rather just uh you know there are days you just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix even even when there are adult responsibilities but but this is one where when you reframe it as what are my children going to think now you you know that that puts it in a different light and and it, you find that motivation to go and do what needs to be done I'll tell you this becomes extremely important when there are kids from a previous relationship um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm getting to know the family that's in my office and I'm, I'm wondering like, well, how are we supporting the children now? How are you, how do you want them to be supported in the future? How do you want them to think about you? And a very important question is, okay, I see there's four kids. Are they all from both of you or are any of these children from a previous relationship? And when I hear that, that there are children from a previous relationship, it's just, it's just wonderful when you hear both parents say, oh, they're all our kids. We don't really think about it as, you know, her kids or my kids or his kids. Uh, it's They're just all our kids. That's wonderful because, and then, of course, I want to know, do the kids see it that way? Do they all have a, a good relationship with each other? Do they have a good relationship with their step-parent, even if they don't really think about it that way? And if the answer is yes to all those questions, that just takes such a big pressure off because I will tell you, uh, if you want to support your kids, and I've, I've, you know, I'm very well aware that some people in a second marriage situation will have a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, uh, and what, the, what that does is just keep your finances separate with the idea that when you pass away, your spouse has waived any sort of claim to uh, what you have, what you had built before that marriage, and you're taking each each one takes care of their biological children. That's fine, but of course that all falls apart when somebody gets sick, as 70% of the population does, when they need long-term care. So when it comes to long-term care, especially at the highest level, and if we're applying for Medicaid, the only way to save 100% of the assets is to move all the assets from one spouse into the name of the other spouse. So we've just violated the prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement. But why are we doing that? Because the government doesn't care if you have a prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement. They disregard it entirely. So how do you think this affects the children who don't all get along and have a great relationship, the ones who say, wait a second, this new wife is getting all of my dad's money, and maybe it was money my dad and my deceased mom 
uh, spent a long time saving, and now all this money's going over there, and and there's going to be nothing for us. And even if they don't care about getting money themselves, they don't like the fact that their father's money is all going to the new wife. So there are reasons why we we look into these situations, and there are ways you can plan ahead to avoid the very emotional ter- uh, uh, a situation, the turmoil that comes up in exactly that situation. You can plan ahead with trust planning. You can really and truly separate assets in a way that even the government will recognize when Medicaid is on the table to pay for long-term care. So this is a combination of just good asset protection. It's good family dynamic protection, just keeping the peace in the family. And of course, this is going to uh, improve the legacy that everybody has by keeping harmony, because without it, without careful planning there, uh, I will tell you that's the tensest of situations that gets that gets pretty uh, thorny uh, with with second marriage planning. So, um, all kinds of information on this in our weekly workshops. Uh, you can find those at KeystoneElderLaw.com. Go to the workshops tab. I talk about middle class estate planning and asset protection, and I talk about how you're going to pay for long term care. We, uh, we, we do a lot of speaking. We've written a lot of articles on this. So there's a lot more information behind all of these ideas. Stick around, though. We'll be back from a break in a moment. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. And I've been talking about parents supporting children and children supporting parents. One issue, of course, that I I could not possibly ignore is gifting by the parents to the children. Gifting, of course, in the nature of all parents. We're going to, you know, I can hardly go to my parents' house without leaving with Tupperware containers full of food and money I don't need them to give me. But that's just, you know, you try telling them no and that's not going to work. So Parents do this by nature. They want to help their children, even even if the children don't want the help. The, the, the parents are going to do their best to help children. So when we talk about giving money to children, you know, there is some very, very good tax advice out there that maybe your financial advisor or your accountant has given to you. And the tax advice is, you know, when it comes to gift taxes, in other words, the government taking a chunk out of what you give away during your life, um, or estate taxes or inheritance taxes, that's a chunk that the government takes out of money leaving your estate, what you died with, uh, when you're gone. Um, you know, there's there's federal and there's estate, gift and estate taxes. Well, the federal level is so high that just about everybody listening to this show right now has no worry about federal gift taxes, gift taxes during life or federal estate taxes when they're gone. And the reason I say that is, you know, you've probably heard, well, we can give $17,000 per person per year. That's the 2023 amount for the IRS. You know, yeah, you can you can give away 17000 and if you go over that, you technically are required to submit a gift tax return when you do your taxes in the spring. Um, but really, you don't pay any taxes until you've given away almost $13 million. And if you're married, it's twice that. So, uh, you know, federal gift taxes are not a problem for most people in central Pennsylvania. And when we talk about state gift taxes, well, that's easy. Pennsylvania doesn't does not have a state gift tax. So the good tax advice might be you should give away your money while you're alive 
because if you die having the same money, now there's an inheritance tax in Pennsylvania, and there's no $13 million exemption for this. It doesn't matter what you have. If you're, if you're leaving it to your children, 4.5% will come out of your estate. Same, same money, just now it's taxed. So why not give it away during your life? Well, I often just try to reorient people and say, well, yes, you, you can do that, um, but there's a few things to keep in mind. Um, you you lose control of the money, and, dep- and it doesn't have to be money. I mean, I've seen people who deed their houses over to their children, and they do this for various reasons. I, I, I think it's a lot of do-it-yourself asset protection, but if you think you're you're going to uh, protect your house from long-term care expenses or avoid probate, which is what happens when you pass away. Your will goes through probate, which is a court-supervised process to make sure that uh, everything goes where your will says it should go. Uh, so they want to avoid that whole process, the delays, the fees, and so forth. So they just they give away property. They deed it over to their children. Well, you've just lost control. So that, you know, why is that an important thing? Maybe it's not, but... What happens, you know, if you deed your house over to your child to help them, um, you know, they're going to get a house. They're, they're going to need it. Um, okay, then what happens if your child dies? Um, then what does their estate plan say? Does the house now go to their spouse? You know, if you're still living in the house and you've deeded it over just for, for transfer purposes down the road, you know, now does this, does your daughter-in-law, you know, own the the house and are, is the daughter-in-law okay with you living there? What happens if the daughter-in-law remarries? Now there's some person you've never met before who has this property that you're living in. How's that going to go? Are you going to have pressure to to move on? So, you know, I'm just playing the what-if game. We always have to ask, how does this play out? So, but other issues come up. You know, any sort of gift, whether it's real estate, whether it's money, you know, I really hope you're not in the five-year period before you need to apply for Medicaid to pay a very hefty bill for long-term care expenses. Because if you give away money, if you give away property, anything of value, you've just caused a penalty period, so you're not eligible for Medicaid. You're going to have to come up with $13,000 a month yourself, and and if you've given away your money, that's even worse. Um, this, this is something that, that doesn't happen with my clients very often or, or ever because I, I get out in front of it, but there's something called the filial responsibility law uh, and that's most states have it, but Pennsylvania's is, uh, really just a big hammer for the, uh, the care providers, the nursing homes to go after families to get paid. It's a collection tool. So if you're gifting, if you're taking care of your children by giving them money, and you give enough money so that you no longer can privately pay for long-term care that you come to need, and all it takes is a stroke or you know a quick onset of an illness, a bad fall, you need long-term care, you can't pay for it because you gave your money away. Uh, Medicaid's not paying for that care because you have a gifting penalty, so the nursing home's not getting paid. So now all eyes are on your children, who you were trying to take care of, so can those ch- children cough up the money that they were given or you know what are they gonna, how are they going to undo that transfer and if you gave it to them because they needed it right now and they've spent the money now we have a bad situation with the filial responsibility law uh, because the nursing home's just not getting paid and that law allows the nursing home to sue the adult children and go after them for the cost of care so even if they've spent the money 
if they have a house, that might be gone. Uh, that you know, there are all kinds of ways to enforce a judgment, and they're going to be on the wrong end of that. So, gifting has a you know, there's there's some good tax reasons to do it, but but in a totally different area of law than the long term care expenses uh, and Medicaid, gifting can backfire. So another question that comes up after I, you know, I could go on and on about gifting. It's, it's you know, money directly. It's paying for things, improvements to their home, paying their bills for them. That's all gifting that would have that effect on Medicaid and becoming ineligible. Always something I caution people about, in addition to the loss of control and other things that can happen. Another question that comes up with parents taking care of children is, you know, they're drafting their will and they say, do I really have to leave everything equally to, let's say, three children? And and I would, you know, of course I'm digging into, well, you know, no, you don't, you can do it however you want. You don't even have to leave anything to your children, of course. But if you want to uh, keep it fair, that's usually what I hear. Tell me why it might be fair or unfair to have an equal distribution or an unequal distribution, because you could say, well, 75% is going to one child and the other two are going to split 25%. And why would you do that? Lots of reasons. What if that one child is the one local child who's been there helping you through some tough times, um, there to help you if you have a, a, a disability, if you've developed a, you know any sort of health condition, and they're the ones who are there. The other two can bar- barely be bothered to call you. Uh, you know, So there, you know, it makes sense that you're going to help the one who has sacrificed the most and you're going to help them more than the other two. Or it might be that, you know, regardless, they're they're all actively involved in supporting you. But, you know, one just, you know, had a had a business fail and they were they had all, all kinds of bills and they were just going through a rough patch in life. They went through a divorce, whatever it might be. And you gave them some money to help them out, help them get them back on their feet. Now it's unfair to the other siblings who never received that kind of financial support if you just say in your will everything in equal shares because now the the one child ends up getting more. Now I go through this sort of like, you know, this is how it works out. And some people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Just they all get along. None of them really need the money. Just let it go in equal shares. And that's fine. But you have to go into it knowing there are some perfectly legitimate reasons why you would want to leave unequal shares for your children in your will. Um, and, you know, you might want to leave a, a very large amount to one child simply because They have a disability that the other children don't have. So not only are you leaving them more money because they're going to have to live uh, off of that money for years after you're gone, uh, but you're going to do it in a very controlled way with a special needs trust that is either built into your will or built outside of your will. You can do it either way. Um, But that's, that's just something to keep in mind is there's lots of reasons why parents supporting children might happen in different ways. And, or you might say, you know what? We're leaving uh, the house to to one child, so we're going to n- leave no money. Maybe we have beneficiary designations on our IRAs or on our life insurance policy, and that's a lot of money, but that's not going to the child who's getting the house because we want to make this fair. So you can get creative about it, and this is this is really an, uh, an exciting way that uh, I find it exciting anyway. Call me a nerd, but I like working and collaborating with the financial advisor you might have so we can come up with creative ways to really meet your family's circumstances uh, and take care of your children in a way that is 
fair, that gives them the best chance at life, that enhances their quality of life, leaves you with a good feeling that you did everything the right way. And we can really get creative about it using a combination of the legal planning and the financial planning. I'll switch over to kids supporting their children when we come back from the break. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. Okay, we're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. This whole show, I've been talking about parents supporting children and some of the legal issues and financial issues that come up with along that, that come up along the way, the questions that I get and so forth. But there's also some some questions that come up when it's the children supporting the parents. I mean, that should be part of the plan that we make together at Keystone Elder Law. We're asking questions about the family. We are, you know, even if the parents are the clients, we're still. We want to know the family. We want to know who's going to play a supportive role. We want to know, uh, you know, how the relationships are. And and sometimes we, we, we are very often, I should say, we have the adult children right there in the room with the parents, with us. We, we welcome that. Uh, sometimes they're tapping in through Zoom or on the phone uh, to just join in and figure out what their role could be to to help the, the, the parents. It's not, uh, you know, it's not something we require, but we, but if somebody asks, uh, you know, can I can I include my children? They're going to need to understand how this works. I say absolutely. That's that's something that we encourage, and it's it's certainly uh, you know, especially if you have a couple days where you see maybe a family where the relationships aren't as solid. Uh, to see that kind of um, commitment by adult children to uh, sit in on a meeting or learn how to better support their their parents in the years to come. That, that definitely makes it a, a good day at the office. So some issues that come up, I mean, obviously, when you, when you, a part of your fundamental estate planning is going to be your financial power of attorney and your health care power of attorney. So the first is if you're incapacitated, who pays your bills? Who can move money around and apply for benefits or arrange for care if you get sick? Who can sign agreements on your behalf? And the healthcare power of attorney, of course, is, uh, you know, if, if it, the doctor comes into your hospital room and says, well, we, we ran the tests, here's the problem. Now, here's what we would like to do to treat the problem. And you uh, look at the doctor with a blank stare or you're unconscious and you're not able to process what the doctor's saying. Somebody else has to make your medical decisions. And I really hope at that point you've done proper planning so that the person who's saddled with that kind of responsibility actually understands your wishes for quality of life, What you know, knows when you don't want to try the next experimental treatment, but instead you want to go into uh, comfort measures, palliative care, or hospice. Uh, these are all decisions uh, that might be made by your children. So, you know, usually if you have a spouse, you're going to name the spouse first, but if the spouse is deceased or or uh, is also sick, it's very, very common for children to be the backup. And sometimes if you don't have a spouse, obviously, they might be the go-to people. So kids supporting their parents, I mean, one of the first things that they can do to support their parents is understanding how the power of attorney works. What does that actually involve? Um, maybe showing enough interest to say, hey, mom or dad, let's get your finances in order. Let's let's come up with a list of where all your accounts are. 
And and I understand some parents don't want to have that conversation about how much money they have. Some are more open than others. I've, I, you know, I'm finding that more and more uh, parents are are generally open to that. It's just something that somebody has to start the conversation. So children supporting parents, I mean, get to know at least where you're going to look for accounts. That's going to make life a whole lot easier so you can support your, your parent if there's an incapacitating medical event. Um, sitting down and having a conversation about their medical wishes and their quality of life. You know, what have you seen in your time? You know, what what have your friends gone through? What what were you, what did you see with your parents? Um, because medical treatment, you know, in the decisions that happen, especially if it's a if it's an end stage medical condition, I mean that it, it looks it looks a certain way, and some people have decided based on what they've seen that they don't want that. Uh, but getting educated together, just even understanding wishes, uh, and using the word wishes reminds me there's there's a, a tool called the Five Wishes that you could sit down and do together. If you Google Five Wishes, you'll find it. Um, it's just a way to walk through uh, all of the, the the decisions that really need to be considered, and you can hear your own parents say these things uh, about you know well this is what I would want and and that's good so you're not thinking about it for the first time at the foot of their hospital bed. A question I often get you know especially once I start getting into these kinds of responsibilities that somebody might take on as power of attorney for their parent or healthcare power of attorney for their parent, you know I, there usually is a little bit of discomfort I can sense and 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 then the question comes out. Do children have to pay for their parents' long-term care? And generally, the answer to that is no. If you, you know, I already went through in this episode what what gifting can, how that can go wrong, how you know you you do gifting within the five-year period before uh, you need Medicaid, and now the children either have to return the money or else maybe be in the crosshairs of a lawsuit. So. You know, if you get the gifting right and you you get a little bit of guidance from an elder law attorney, you're not going to have any problem. You're not going to have to pay for the care. Uh, you're you know there are benefits available. This can all be done in a very controlled way so that parents can use whatever resources they have, uh, and those resources might include public benefits like Medicaid. And the children are not going to have to dig deep into their own pockets when they have their own bills. They have their own. Uh, kids' tuition, or they have their own um, responsibilities. Maybe they're still paying their own mortgage. So that would be putting uh, the children in a very tight spot. So generally, the answer to that question for the children is no, you don't have to. Of course, you can. I just spoke today with a a gentleman who uh, is using Medicaid for a mother with dementia, but uh, you know that means that normally Medicaid will pay for a semi-private room, meaning you have a roommate. Well, he wanted the best for his mother. You know, she raised him. So he's paying a little extra money every single month out of his own pocket so that she gets her own room. Um, and, you know, there's pictures on the wall. And, and you know, he has just been an outstanding caregiver for his mother. Uh, and he's choosing to pay a little bit extra to enhance her quality of life. But generally, that's not uh, it's not absolutely uh, necessary if you can't afford it. The other thing that, that the kids will often ask is we're talking about the will and how you pay debts first and then, you know, you, you distribute everything that, that's left. And, and I'll often have, especially if they're named as the executor, the, the children who, um, who is glad to support the parent, take care of the parent, but they're gonna, they, they will say, do I have to, have to pay the debts that my parent passes away with? And, of course, the answer is not only 
uh, no, but you should not pay the debt. So if you're taking care of mom, she passes away, and you know there's a bill sitting there in the mail or you know credit card bill, medical bill, whatever it is, that's mom's bill. And even if she is deceased, now it's her estate's bill. So, and, and, you know, the reason I put an emphasis on this is what if there's not enough money? What if mom ran out of money or has so little money that, that it's an insolvent estate, meaning the, the debts are bigger than the amount of money she, she died with? Well, then you definitely should not be paying bills because there's a priority set by Pennsylvania law that these, these bills are going to be get paid in a certain order, and ultimately they might not all get paid. The, the credit card companies, for example, are last in line, uh, and they might end up getting pennies on the dollar for, for what they're actually owed. So if you go paying their bill in full, that's, that's money out the window that, that otherwise would not have been paid by the estate. So it helps to get a little bit of, a little bit of guidance. Um, of course, you know, as people, as, as, as adult children want to support their parents with uh, maybe declining health, there are all kinds of resources available. And we at Keystone Elder Law would love to be a resource, even if it's not something that we do. We can put you in touch with one of our many friends out there in the, in the, uh, uh, the world of helping older adults. We have a lot of uh, good networking relationships. We, can, we, we know the people who are good for certain responsibilities, and we can put you in touch with them. So, you know, we, we certainly encourage the, the adult children of our clients to be supportive. We want to make sure you have all the answers. If you are suddenly in the position of being a power of attorney, I hope you'll call me or email me and we'll figure out that, you know, all the things you should be doing right away, um, you know, that we, we'll get you going and, and we'll make sure that you can support your parent. And of course, if you find yourself uh, executor of the estate, we can guide you through that. Um, we've written a lot of articles on this, of course, on, uh, and you can find those articles at the Elder Care Articles tab at KeystoneElderLaw.com. You can give us a call if you have any uh, trouble finding it, 717-697-3223. But generally, I encourage you to, to just seek information, have communication, whether it's parents supporting children or children supporting parents. There's always more information about planning ahead, legally, financially, care-wise. If you have any questions based on all of this, I hope you'll get in touch with us at Keystone Elder Law, and we'll point you in the right direction. In the meantime, for everybody listening to this, please check out our workshops, check out the articles at KeystoneElderLaw.com. We are working very hard to provide a lot of free education. Just get those wheels turning in people's heads. Think about this so that you can take action, build a shield, and protect your family from very predictable threats coming your way. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll listen next week to the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. You are listening to News Radio WHP 580.